Vikings play at one o'clock. It's true. Most of you will be in bed by the time the other football game. Just a comment on the Eagles. Um, I'm really impressed with the number of Eagles that have been coming out and to express their faith in Jesus Christ. It's been a real encouragement, I think, to many of you. It's one thing just to have a winning team, but to have a real winning team because they love Jesus and they have the opportunity because of the sport that they're in and the accomplishments that they're making this year to tell people about what really makes them tick spiritually. Well, by now, most, if not all of us, are aware that uh, we are calling for 40 days of fasting and prayer, January 2nd to February the 10th. Uh, why, while calling for 40 days of prayer is not unusual, I know that many of us are wondering what 40 days of fasting is all about. Several years ago, I attended a prayer and fasting conference in Los Angeles. And this was my first experience with fasting. It was so foreign to me that the first day at noon, I kept looking at my watch, wondering when they were going to dismiss us for lunch. Uh, what part of fasting didn't I quite get a grip on and understand? I'm guessing that fasting as it relates to prayer is foreign to mo most of us here at Grace Chapel. You hear me suggest that we're going to have 40 days of fasting and prayer, and you immediately start, as I mentioned last week, freaking out, thinking, how are you going to survive without eating for 40 days? And um, that's not what I'm suggesting that any of us do, although some do have prolonged periods of fasting. And it uh, has a lot to do with medical reasons and dieting and so forth. I personally couldn't go 40 days without eating because of medication I'm on. So that's not necessarily what we're suggesting as far as having 40 days without food. At an, in, a, in the introduction of his guide to prayer and fasting, Reverend John Harris writes, although fasting is an almost forgotten practice, this biblical foundation is an important part of prayer and worship. Fasting helps us to focus on matters of the spirit. Dr. Bill Bright, I think many of you are familiar with Bill Bright. He was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's called Crew. He, he stated, and I quote, I believe the power of fasting as it relates to prayer is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in a great revival and spiritual harvest around the world. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but I was part of, Sherry and I were part of fasting and prayer two times in our church in Clear Lake, Iowa. And also we had a prolonged period of fast in our intern, both of our intern ministries in New York and Wisconsin. And they all produced uh, 
a lot of fruit. Um, among them was reconciliation, repentance, um, and really relating to one another in ways that they hadn't done previous to the 40 days of fasting and prayer. Um, but fasting, food is just one way to fast. John Harris writes, a challenging part of prayer and fasting is taking our focus off the world and toward God. Many things distract us from time alone with God. And he lists a few, work, leisure, worries, social and civic commitments, even church activities. In the New Testament book, New Testament book of Hebrews, these items are labeled as every weight that slows us down. And I'd like to look at a, two verses in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. You'll see it on the screen. A familiar uh, couple of verses to most of us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The writer of Hebrews here uses the analogy of a race to depict the believer's life of faithful living. And in the grandstand are all the disciples that have gone before us who have run before us, and they are encouraging us to run strong. And before us is the track, one prepared beforehand by God. At the end of the track, at the end of the circuit, is Jesus, who's standing there waiting to congratulate all who cross it. What prevents us from reaching the finish line, um, the author tells us that it is two things. He says, wait and sin. And now sin is obvious to all of us. A life of faith must be lived in obedience to God's word. Um, but what, uh, what is this weight that slows us down? Because the weight that slows us down, I don't believe is as obvious as the sin that weighs us down. Um, what about the weight that slows us down? Because the weight is not as obvious, it can often interfere with our reaching the finish line strongly. The image here in Hebrews is a runner taking off all of his warm-up clothes, so he's left with only his running attire and his running shoes. By doing so, he has nothing to encumber him along the race. The weight of our, in our life is not necessarily sin. It's anything that keeps us from running the race set before us. Anything that keeps us from achieving all that God wants to do in and through us in our life and ultimately in and through our church, both individually and corporately. This weight normally comes from the good things that become a distraction to our spiritual growth. These are the things that we must lay down so that we may run unencumbered in our race of faith. And part of prayer and fasting 
is creating an environment in which we can encounter God. We also may be called to, during this time of prayer and fasting, to set aside some good things in order to allow ourselves more time with God. What distracts us from time with God? There's a list that I'd like you to look over and um, perhaps commit to set aside some normal activity to give ourselves more time for God, for prayer, silence, and solitude. More time to listen to what Jesus is trying to say to us. It's not a comprehensive list. It's just some ideas, and there are many more that could be listed. Um, But these are not necessarily bad things that could be good things, but something that we could fast and set aside and turn that time in devotion to God. And uh, again, there's nothing magical about this list. It just may prompt something in your life if you choose not to fast food. Um, one could fast, for an example, television. Um, one could fast Facebook, but not just to say I don't listen to television anymore or I don't watch my Facebook. It means that I'm going to take that time and I'm going to use it, dedicate myself to prayer and having a conversation with God. So we need to ask God to reveal some area that we can set aside for 40 days in order to spend more time in prayer. And as we throw off what slows us down in the sin that hinders our progress, as Hebrews says, we will find ourselves able to spend more time at the foot of the throne of God, seeking his face, listening to his word, and being equipped to persevere and to run the race. And only as we focus our lives on him can we hear from him and his plan for our lives individually and corporately as a church. You're gonna let, you're gonna hear me say both of those because it's kind of two-dimensional. We're really interested in what God is saying to us individually, but I don't think more importantly, but as important is what is God speaking to us together corporately as the church, as the body of Christ. And only as we focus our lives on him can we hear his plan for our lives individually and corporately as the body of Christ. Biblically, prayer and fasting go together. As with prayer, fasting is about God. However, in our day, the biblical principle of fasting has been almost forgotten. But throughout history, God's people have made fasting an important part of their worship and prayer. Fasting is God's way of helping us focus on matters of the spirit. It enables us to gain control of our appetites so that we can direct our mental and spiritual energies toward Christ. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. Uh, Fasting normally involves abstaining again as we um, from food, solid or liquid. If you choose to fast uh, solid food, I would recommend that you don't fast water. 
Um, just as uh, some of you want to be real pioneers and say, I'm going to not eat for 40 days. We'll pick you up at the end of the 40 days. Um, that, that not medically, I would get counsel from your doctors if you choose to do that, but certainly not water, don't fast water. Um, the fast is an act of the will through which the individual Christian exerts spiritual control over the flesh, though through not eating or through the laying down of other distractions and hindrances with a view to a more personal and powerful experience with God and prayer. It involves giving up the physical to gain greater spiritual insight. Uh, Marilyn Hickey writes, quote, fasting and prayer, didn't those go out of style decades ago? The woman who said this to me was a godly woman, a woman who had been in the church all her life, and a woman intent on obeying the Lord. She knew her Bible. She was very serious in her question, yet for some reason she had concluded, at least subconsciously, that fasting and prayer were no longer intended for believers in today's world. Marilyn Hickey goes on to say, the truth is, fasting and prayer are for today. In fact, now, more than ever. Our time of fasting and prayer is time set aside once again to, what, to listen to what God is trying to tell us, again, both individually and corporately. Don Whitney, who has written a lot on the disciplines of the Christian life, said the following. He said, fasting is so misunderstood because of the famine of contemporary awareness of it. Even though there's more interest in fasting today than during the last half of the 19th and the first half of the 20th century, how many people do you know who regularly practice fasting? How many sermons have you heard on the subject? In most Christian circles, you will rarely hear fasting mentioned, and few will have read anything about it. And yet it's mentioned in Scripture more times than even something as important as baptism, about 77 times for fasting, and to 75 for baptism. He continues, he said, Christians in a gluttonous, self-indulgent society may struggle to accept and to begin the practice of fasting. Few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream of culture. Of course, there are some people who for medical reasons cannot fast, but most of us dare not overlook fasting's benefits and the disciplined pursuit of a Christian life. In his book, Celebration of Discipline. Some of you have read Richard Foster's works. He writes, the constant propaganda, propaganda fed us today convinces us that if we do not have three large meals each day and several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. This coupled with the popular belief that it is a positive virtue to satisfy every human appetite has made fasting seem obsolete. The list of biblical characters in the Bible, biblical men, 
and women uh, and individuals who fasted include some of these. These are some, not all, but some. Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Joel, Daniel, Anna, Paul, and none other than Jesus. You'll recall Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness in which he fasted and prayed as he was having his confrontations with the devil. Many well-known Christians throughout history gave testimony to fasting's value and power. Among them were Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley, Jonathan um, Edwards, and David Brainerd, to name a few of theological persuasion throughout the years. The people of God, I'll give you some illustrations um, from scripture. The people of God face national extinction in the days of Queen Esther. Esther called for her own people to respond with a fast. And God called his people to pray and fast during a major crisis. And God delivered his people. Esther 4, verse 16. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go and see the king. If I must die, I must die. That was Esther, Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, three books in a row. Ezra proclaimed a fast for protection as the people returned to the land following the rebuilding of the walls with Nehemiah. God heard and he answered by giving them supernatural protection. Ezra ate, and there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. When Daniel, um, remember Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel and his, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Daniel was faced with spiritual battles, he fasted and prayed. In those days, Daniel 10, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. The prophet Joel, a little later in the Old Testament, called a national fast at the beginning of a severe locust plague. And he said in Joel 1.14, Declare a holy fast and call a sacred assembly and summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Now I want to say as an aside that spiritual fasting is not dieting. Okay, I'm not going to eat for several weeks so that I can lose weight. And though we will experience some physical benefits from fasting, the focus of the fast is on God and not on any benefits that we may derive from the fast. In fact, if our fast is not unto the Lord, then it has failed. 
the center of the fast must be Jesus. It must be God. If anything replaces God as the center of the fast, then we've missed the purpose. Our focus and our attention during a fast must be fixed on God. It's essential if it's going to mean anything. Don Whitney, in some of his books, have mentioned nine reasons to fast, and I'm going to give you the nine, comment on, comment on them briefly. And to a degree, um, I'm, I'm hopeful, and my prayers are for Grace Chapel, uh, would include most of, if not all, of these nine purposes. But again, we have to have a purpose if we're going into fasting. And here, they, here are the, the nine reasons to fast by um, Don Whitney. Number one, to strengthen prayer. Fasting does not change God's hearing so much as it changes our praying. That's essential. God hears us. Yeah, he, he's not deaf. But during the time of prayer and fasting, it changes our praying. Secondly, to seek God's guidance. Rightly practiced, it makes us more receptive to God who loves to guide us. I'll give you a verse a little later from Psalm 77, verse 19, that directs, directed to that. Number three, to express grief. Fasting communicates the grief and confession that our words cannot clarify when we just don't know what to say. So fasting communicates that grief. Number four, to seek deliverance or protection. Fasting, rather than fleshly effort, should be one of our first defenses against persecution. I would dare say that there are probably a lot more fasting going on in portions of the world that are facing direct confrontation with the evil one um, than we experience in our relatively safe environment. Number five, to express repentance and a return to God. Fasting can signal a commitment to obedience in a new direction. The Israelites express repentance through fasting in 1 Samuel 7, verse 6, when they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And on that day, on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Boy, that's great when we do it as individuals, but how powerful it is when we as a corporate body of the body of Christ, the church, come before God corporately and, and admit to him that we have sinned, not only individually, but corporately as a church. In Joel 2.12, the Lord specifically commanded his people to signify their repentance and their return to him by fasting. And even now, Joel says, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Not only can fasting express repentance, it can be in vain without repentance. As with all spiritual disciplines, fasting can be little more than a dead work if we have persistently hardened our hearts to God and, call, and God's call to deal with a specific sin in our lives. We must never try to immerse ourselves in a spiritual discipline as an attempt to drown out God's voice about forsaking a sin. 
It's a perversion of fasting to try to use it to balance a sinful part of our life we want to continue feeding. We have to deal with it. Number six, to humble ourselves before God. Fasting, when practiced with the right motives, is a physical expression of humility before God. And I'll share an example of a pagan king that understood that from the book of Jonah when, when we get a little farther here. Number seven, to express concern for the work of God. Uh, a Christian might feel compelled to fast and pray for the work of God in a place that has experienced tragedy or disappointment or apparent defeat or in a church that's broken and experiencing um, some areas of defeat. Number eight, to overcome temptation. Fasting is a way of overcoming temptation and of freshly dedicating ourselves to God. And finally, to express love and worship to God. Whitney says, fasting can be an expression of finding our greatest pleasure and enjoyment in God. Fasting honors God and is a means of worshiping Him. It means that our stomach isn't our God as it is with some. Paul alludes to that in Philippians 3.19. Instead, it is God's servant and fasting proves it because we're willing to sublimate its desires to those of the Spirit. The disciples of John the Baptist noted for their practice of fasting once asked Jesus why his disciples didn't fast. And in Matthew 9, 15, Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn when celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them. And then I think this is powerful, Jesus says, and then they will fast. The groom is no longer present on this earth in his physical body. Jesus assumed that after he ascended and he left us, that we as his followers would fast. Now is the time to fast. We have called for 40 days of fasting and prayer beginning January the 2nd. We have been given a God-sized assignment at a time when individually and corporately we need to seek repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation with one another. And we need God to direct and empower and use us to accomplish his purpose and plan for this church, Grace Chapel, individually and corporately. Therefore, let us fast and pray. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. May we expect in God and hope in him in this spiritual journey. It's our prayer that we will know the new thing that God wants to do at Grace Chapel to bring his hope and grace to our community, our nation, and the world. To call to him now and he will reveal to us great and mighty things that we didn't know. Psalm 77, I told you I would refer to this at the end, become a particular um, comforting uh, passage of scripture for Sherry and I, and I've shared it with you in the past. 
Um, the, the context is the children of Israel are fleeing from Pharaoh's army. And the army's on one side and the Red Sea's on the other side and the mountains are surrounding and they have no idea how they're going to get out of that pickle. And God says, David says through Psalm 77, your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters. And then this phrase, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep. God has a pathway for Grace Chapel that we didn't know was there. And he wants to direct us as a flock of sheep through that pathway. Each week um, during the 40 days of fasting and prayer, each Sunday, we will provide a scriptural guide and specific prayer request to lead us along the path that no one knew was there. Our time of fasting and prayer is designed to culminate February 11th with a sacred assembly on Sunday evening, February 11th. Um, Joel 1.14 said, declare a holy fast, but then he also added, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of our Lord, your God, and cry out to the Lord. And next Sunday we'll talk more specifically about what a sacred assembly is and what we could expect at our sacred assembly here in February. But for now, let's pray that God would show us what he wants to set aside, wants us to set aside for 40 days so that we can concentrate that time more intensely with prayer to hear what God is trying to say to us individually and corporately as a church. One final example as a call to fasting and prayer. And uh, I have to give my wife credit for bringing this to my attention. And it came out of the women's ABF on the study of Jonah. It's Jonah chapter three, verses six through nine. You know, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because God would probably call them to repent and they would, and he wanted them not to repent. He wanted them to be, get the punishment of God. But you know what happened. Jonah did finally, after a little diversion in the belly of a whale, um, he did go and preach and God decided to bring these people to salvation. And what I want to read to you is from the pagan king of Nineveh, who now has experienced um, God in his life, in his people's life. So he's individually and corporately, he responds. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even God 
Yet, perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw that they had done what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray ahead of time that like the king of Nineveh, we would step down off of our individual and corporate thrones and as a spirit, in a spirit of humility and brokenness, allow God in repentance, bring us to repentance so that we might seek reconciliation with one another and get clear direction of the path, the new path that God has laid out for this church. Today is the day to begin our fast. Now is the time to turn to God in a way that he would be pleased to hear from us. So that was meant to give you a little clarification because, and I hope it's not clouded the issue, I hope it's a little clearer for you uh, Pastor Dave is not calling for some freaky thing. What we're looking at is something that's very scriptural. It's very biblical. Jesus said, when he leaves, we will fast. And so we call for 40 days of fasting and prayer. Nothing magical about 40 days. The, 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 the fast that I've shared with you out of illustrations from scripture or three-day fast, three-week fast, all different times. Jesus fasted for 40 days. And so just using that as an example, um, we're, going to, we're calling for 40 days of fasting and prayer. Father, I would pray that um, we wouldn't lose in our, the whole process of trying to understand fasting and prayer. We wouldn't lose sight of the value of fasting and prayer, that we would, even if it's something that is relatively new, uh, something that we've never experienced before, that we would, with pure hearts, um, come to God, come to you with fasting and, and with prayer and with an earnest desire and earnest purpose that we would seek your face and that we wouldn't change you, but you would change our praying and that you would give us clear insight individually and corporately what your plan is for us as, as an individual and as a church. And uh, that we would conclude it with a sacred assembly in which we would come and give testimony to what God is saying to us and what he wants to do in and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that I've shared this with you before, um, but as an introduction to communion, I'm gonna use my wife as an example. 
and the, she doesn't know I'm going to do this, but we'll have prayer after. <laughs>